Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Yeah, see, you'll join in even if you don't know who you're singing for, right? Uh, if you're uh, just joining us for the first time, uh, you're jumping in on the very end, uh, tail end of our series. We run a four-week series, uh, and this is our fourth week. Uh, and we're in a series called Be Happy. And we're looking at that deep longing in each and every one of us, that, that sense of contentment that is deep within our soul. And on the first week, we looked at if you have a pulse... Who remembers the rest? You have a purpose. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. You don't get a say in it. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And then on the second week, we looked at something called a redemptive perspective. And we looked at how we can deal with life's past hurts. And the fact that we need to be able to uh, look at them with a sense of expectancy of God's goodness. And then last week, we looked at that elusive term calling and what that means. And we talked about calling is that, is that alignment between our gifts and our roles of who we are and what we do. It's that sense that we are placed exactly where we should be placed, exactly to what we should be placed. And I ask you a question, if you are doing, not just are you doing something, but if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Well, this week we're looking at uh, if you haven't got the theme already from this morning, but it's community. We're looking at that term, community. And I, uh, I, I started off singing happy birthday because happy birthday is one of those songs that, you know, it doesn't matter if you even know who you're singing happy birthday to, you're willing to jump in, right? You all were like, oh yeah, I'll sing happy birthday, why not? It's something that, it's probably one of the few things where you can really feel like you're a part of something that's bigger than just yourself. You're joining in. Um, I don't know if you are like me, but uh, in college, some of my friends, we would go to restaurants and stuff in between class, and the reality was is if by the, by the end of the dinner, if you hadn't told the waitress that it was somebody else's birthday, it was most likely your birthday. Regardless of whether it was or not, someone was going to have their, be embarrassed, get, have to stand on the chair and get happy birthday sung to them. Um, have, you ever, have you ever been at a restaurant and joined in on happy birthday for like someone at the next table? You don't even know them, you'll just join in? Yes, some of you are nodding your heads, maybe not. But we're, that's what we're talking about this morning, joining in on something that's bigger than yourself. And this morning, as we talk about community, I want to uh, encourage you to think larger than just yourself. In fact, I believe that your faith is bigger than yourself. I believe that your life is bigger than yourself. I believe that you were created for relationship and community. And you may be saying, my faith is bigger than myself. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, Tim. Like, my faith is mine. I don't know if you know this, but we live in a more and more individualistic society. That your beliefs may be good for you, but my beliefs are okay for me. And your beliefs shouldn't affect me. 
That my faith is my own, your faith is your own, and they don't need to interact. But the truth is, your faith belongs to you. It is personal. There is nobody else who can make the declaration of faith for you. You have to decide to have faith in Christ. You need to decide. It's yours. But though it may be personal, it is not private. And those are two very different things. See, your faith, though it belongs to you, was never meant to just be your own. You were created with an intention. You were created with this thing called community in mind. You were created for relationship. In fact, this reality is so strong in Scripture. How many of you know that there are, uh, there are a few different ways of, uh, of studying Scripture? You can study it uh, systematically, exegetically. Uh, one of the different ways, those are some big words that you may or may not know what they mean, but one of the ways is biblical theology, and it's this sense that there are themes that unite the entire Bible. That you could put, and I've talked about this before, you could put a red string in Genesis and take that string all the way to Revelation and there would be a single uniting theme through it. In fact, the reality of community is so strong that it led a theologian named Stanley Grenz to say this. We may summarize God's intention for the world by employing the term community. Just as the triune God is the eternal fellowship of the Trinitarian members, so also God's purpose for the creation is that the world participate in community. God's intent to establish community with creation is a central theme of the entire biblical message. From the narratives of the primordial garden, which opened the curtain on the biblical story, to the vision of white-robed multitudes inhabiting the new earth, with which it concludes, the scriptural drama speaks concerning community. In layman's terms, it's all about community. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about God's establishment of a community. God's creation of a community, God's cultivation of a community, and God's consummation of heaven in community. In fact, You could open your book to any letter, any gospel, any historical account, and you would be hard-pressed to find a passage of Scripture that doesn't somehow integrate with this idea of community. Positively or negatively, you would be hard-pressed to do it. And so even though this whole Bible, this whole thing from Genesis to Revelation speaks about community, I want to jump in with you this morning to one particular passage, and that's in Hebrews. I believe that this passage illustrates the centrality of community within our lives. And so if you have a Bible, you can open your Bible or turn on your Bible to Hebrews 10. We're going to start at verse 19. And I'll read it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy places. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty 
consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. I just want you to stop right there. Just to be totally upfront with you about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is one of those books that we can't quite put our finger on exactly who wrote it. We can rule some people out. We know Paul didn't write it. But we don't know exactly who wrote this book. But from the contents, we can, can kind of uh, guess at who wrote it and kind of when they wrote it and where they wrote it. The, the theory of the day is it was most likely sent to Rome, but it was meant to be circulated about, about, amongst a bunch, a bunch, oh my goodness. It was meant to be circulated amongst a bunch of churches. That's a tongue twister, all right? <laughs> We know that from the the context and the content of Hebrews that it was an audience familiar with the Jewish heritage. We don't know if they were Jewish. They may have been the very first Gentile converts, but we know that they were familiar with the Jewish heritage. They knew what temple worship was. They knew what Jewish religion was. And here in verse 10, 19, it says, We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. This is one of these passages I think we have a tendency to breeze over in our context because we don't recognize the revolutionary nature of it. For a Jewish person, person, the temple was the central figure of their religion. In fact, if you were Jewish, let's pretend we were all Jewish here and this was what we would call a synagogue. The temple is, we'll say, in our capital, because it was in their capital. It was in, it's in Ottawa. Every year, all of us in this building would all take an annual pilgrimage to Ottawa so that we could sacrifice in the temple, so that we could have atonement for our sins, and we could participate in the Day of Atonement. Imagine, you are now in a first century Christian church, the first Christian churches, and you are, with, you are met with the reality that you no longer need to do that pilgrimage. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, pictures of our, our Muslim brothers who, you know, in Mecca trying to do their annual pilgrimage, trying to get close to the Holy of Holies. Millions and millions of people crowding in to this courtyard. No longer would we have to make that pilgrimage. The central icon of our faith, the central religious thing that we do, no longer exists. And in fact, Paul, or Paul, sorry, the writer of Hebrews is saying, that temple is in you. The very presence of God that you went to go see is now in you. It's personal. It's within your life. No longer do you need to take a pilgrimage or travel, you are where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit meets you in the present, in your specific context. See, the first thing that we would say in that scenario is, if the Holy Spirit is is within me, and I have no need for a temple anymore, that wherever I go, the temple is with me, then my faith is my own. My faith faith is personal. My faith is private. I am able to communicate with God 
by myself. But it's at this exact turn in redemptive history that the writer of Hebrews says something totally the opposite of that. We'll pick it up where we left off. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So not only could we say that you could interpret the temple within yourself as private, we know that it did happen. There were some who said, my spiritual life is now my own. I no longer need to have part in community. I no longer need to participate because I have full, unhindered access to the, to the Holy of Holies, to the Holy Spirit. It's at this exact turn in redemptive history that the writer of Hebrews says, it, is, it may be personal, but it is not private. You were meant for community. You are meant for relationship. You might be saying, why? Well, he even spells it out in verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. There is a purpose for community. You are called to participate in community, not just for your own pleasure and your own, you know, whatever you can get. You are called to participate in community to be, and I love the way I read from the NLT because I I love the way it says it and the message picks it up the same way. The message says to see how creative we can be. NLT, to see how inventive we can be in spurring one another on towards acts of love and service. There's a reason for community. It's to spur one another on towards acts of love and service. You were made for community. You were made for relationship. In fact, I'm not sure if you know this, but sociologists have studied this. And relationships are the number one factor in determining who we we will become. Did you know that? See, we like to believe that we are our own deterministic entities. I get to determine who I will become. I get to choose who I'm going to be. And we can, you know, there may be some factors. We may think that who we are going to become may be dependent on our, our religious beliefs, on our New Year's resolutions. How many have New Year's resolutions? I'll start here. How many made New Year's resolutions? How many still have them? Yeah, not as many. That's okay. We like to think we are our own determinate, you know, entities. We can determine our own destiny. But it's actually who we surround ourselves with. It's the community we are involved in. That is the number one factor in determining who we will become. In fact, and so we can determine who we are going to become. But it's not by our freedom of choice. It's through choosing the people that we surround ourselves with. Choosing the relationships we invest in. You have freedom of choice. You can determine who you will become, but it's not through this sense of, I'm going to do better. I'm going to determine to do better. To do better. 
It's through choosing to, surround, to surround yourself with positive relationships, with relationships that feed your soul, with people that are positive influences on you. I don't know if, if you have kids, but like, that's like the number one thing that you are worried about, as I think as a parent is sometimes, is the friends that your kids are going to make and the influence they're going to have on their life. The friends we have will determine who we become. And so this morning, our challenge is very simple. It's this. Who is one person that you're investing in? And who is someone who is investing in you? We each need to have those positive relationships in our life. We need to have someone who is willing to invest in us. And we need to have someone who we're going to invest in. And that can be a mutual investment back and forth, or it can be two separate relationships. But we have to have someone who is surrounding us with our best intentions at heart. You know, maybe as you evaluate your relationships there's some not-so-great relationships. And that can be difficult. And this morning, I'm not asking you to break up with someone. I'm not asking you to write a blog post or a Facebook post about how someone has done you wrong. I am asking you to simply choose your relationships wisely. Choose those who you're going to invest in, who you're going to surround yourself with. See, we have a lot of different ways of choosing our friends. You know, if you're like me, you know, you choose them based on a common interest, uh, maybe a, a, sh- a shared space, like a coworker. They're just there and you get along. Uh, but we need to begin to choose friends. Choose relationships based on, are they a point on the compass that I want to be heading towards? Are they someone who I can say, them, I want to be like them. The Bible says, in fact, that what you are seeing is the reflection of Christ. I want to be like Christ because I see Christ in them. There is a very tangible nature to the reflection of Christ. When you see it in someone, I want to be like them because I know that's what Christ would be like. If Jesus was alive in the 20, what is this, the 21st century? I don't even know. That's what Christ would look like. That's what he would be like. That's how he would act in that situation. In John's letter, uh, 1 John, he actually writes, if we were able as a community to love one another the way we were intended to love one another, it would be so tangible That someone could walk through that door who's never known anything of God, who's never known anything about this community, and they could simply observe us with such a tangible reality of the love of Christ that they would say, that is what God is like. That love right there, that way that they interacted in that conflict, that way that they, you know, met that need when that person was in crisis, that way that they rejoiced with that person when there was good news, that is what God is like. Imagine if someone could walk into this community and say, that is what God is like. 
Trinity EMC, that is what God is like. See, we were created for community. You were created to be a part of that. You were created to experience a love like that. You were created to experience the tangible realities of God's love like that. I think one of the first things that will have to happen in a church, any church, including this one, is we will have to go from being a church of rows to a church of circles. That we will need to walk in the door with the understanding that I'm not here just to sit and observe, but I'm here to participate in a circle, participate in a community, to invest in a relationship and be invested in. In fact, on the back bench this morning, we have a lovely little booklet. It's called Life at Trinity 2015. And we publish this every year. This is all the ways that you can get plugged in and move from rows to circles this morning. All the ways that you can experience the love of Christ through fellowship, through Bible study, through uh, ministry teams, through prayer meetings. It's all in here. And so if you are here this morning and you're saying, I need to move from a row to a circle, I encourage you to grab one of these booklets, leaf through it, find a place of connection. Find a place that you can invest in and be invested in. And there are Bible studies and, and you know, some, you know, things that we might classify as church things. But there are also some things like uh, slow pitch teams and three pitch teams. Places of fellowship where God uh, and community are at work. Because I hate to break it to you, but everything we do is spiritual. Not just the Bible studies. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to pray over you because I believe that God is about to show himself in this place. God is about to demonstrate his tangible love through each and every one of you. And so I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for the community called Trinity Evangelical Missionary Church. I thank you that you are at work demonstrating your love. That we have heard witness and testimony after testimony of people coming into this place and experiencing the love of community. We thank you for that. But Father, we know that you have so much more for this group. That there is a tangible reality of love, a tangible reality of God that we are meant to experience in community. And so Father, this morning... I just pray over them. I bless these guys, these men and women of God. I bless them for the fact that they have loved like you loved. And Father, I commission them this morning. Commission them to move from rows to circles. Commission them to move into relationships of investment, of intentional love. Father, I ask that as we go forth from this place, that we would recognize you are here, you are with us, that our faith is personal, but it is not private. That we were designed for community. We were destined for community. That in fact, after this whole earth has faded away, what will remain is the community of God. So Father, we commit our lives 
to community. We commit our lives to the community of God's kingdom. In your holy name. Amen.